battles like that, and I think we all have to find our, our balance in the midst of it. And, uh, you know, we're living in such a, such a difficult time as far as what we see on the outside. Uh, a lot of things can grieve our spirits that we see and feel in the world today. But thank God that he, with our faith, God gives us faith to run the race. And it's that faith that keeps us and, and gives us courage and strength. And uh, I thank God that he is victorious and he has a victorious plan for the church. No matter what happens in the world. Uh, what happens on the outside, and that's that just keeps us and gives us courage to keep moving ahead. Uh, some people said, "Well, shouldn't you retire now? Um, you're getting Social Security or whatever." But uh, you know, yeah, we we have such an urgency to keep moving, and um, there's so much to do. And um, one of the burdens we have is to really encourage people into the maturity, keep running the race. There's a, you can easily quit. You can easily say, "That's it. I've I've had it." You can just throw up your hands and say, I'm finished. I, I just can't see the end of this. But God is really looking for people who will just stay in there for the whole race, Amen. who will stay in there and, and be willing to run the race and bear the cross. It says, deny yourself, bear your cross, take up your cross, and follow me. Every disciple has to carry his own cross, and nobody can get a shortcut to that. Everybody has to bear the burdens of this life, but at the same time, he gives us joy to run that race. And I just want to encourage you today. God has a great plan for the church today. It may seem many times that we're battling that against forces that are greater than we are. But I want to thank God this morning that the church is victorious. And we're seeing such great things around the world. And testimonies of God fulfilling his plan and his promise to so many. And we're seeing such an outpouring of God in South Africa, where we've been recently. We're going to go back again in February. Uh, churches are just, uh, God is just exploding. And yet, in the midst of real economic problems, to, just two days ago, the finance minister was fired by the president in South Africa. And it caused the money to drop even further the South African ran. Economically, everybody's saying, what's happening there? What's happening there? But I tell you, the church is a voice in South Africa. And I don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but I do know that God has a plan. He's using the church to bring life. And there are many powerful things. We go to churches that are just exploding there. And, uh, and it, God is just doing something great. And then we're going back to Germany. You know, Germany's been such a country where there's been such gloom and doom so many years, and it seemed like <clears throat> there was no life there. But, man, there's a great move among young people there in Germany today. They have a night, they have a night of the Holy Spirit. There's a church in Stuttgart. It started singing new. Some of the women that were really praying in that little small church in Stuttgart, oh, 20, 30 years ago, she actually knew the women, and um, they were praying for revival. Just a bunch of women praying for revival. Well, I tell you, that church today is a is over 3,000 strong. It's a thriving church. It's one of the most powerful churches uh, in, in Germany. And they're reaching out. They're, there's such a move among young people. They have a night of the Holy Spirit. And this year they had uh, they have a stadium event for over they had over 12,000 young people come in a stadium event to receive the Holy Spirit and just uh, take part in what God is doing. Things you never saw before. But 
I just want to say God is alive and he is well. And we're so, I'm so glad that we serve a God who's faithful. He's been a faithful God. I don't care what, what you face, what things you go through. God is faithful and he will take you through and he will give you the victory in your life if you allow him, if you're willing to walk the walk. Amen. Hallelujah. There are some materials back there that's from Siggy, some new CDs. Not a lot of stuff, but there's good resources. Even Crystal has a couple children's books, Siggy's sister. She does her own painting and that, and uh, 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 she does all the artwork herself. But have a look. There are resources that will encourage your soul back there as you go out. God bless you. Thank you so much. It's such a joy to be here this morning and to feel God's presence. I want to minister this morning out of Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. I'm not going to read the whole story, but I'm going to go to it. But I'm going to just read from Genesis chapter 4 from verse 1, I think, to 7. Now the man had a relationship with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to the brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel and his part also brought of the first things of his flock and of their fat portion, and the Lord had regard of Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching on the door and his desire is for you but you must master it. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the season and for the time we're living in in this day, and I know without a shadow of a doubt, some of us, Lord, we maybe wished we would have born 100 years prior or 100 years later, but Lord, we're here in this generation, in this time, and in this season to make a difference. And I pray today, Lord, that you quicken our hearts, because what's the church? The church is not a congregation but as a church people where you as people as we are to recognize that we are going to rise in this day to be an instrument in your hand to bring light in the greatest darkness and freedom in the greatest captivity and I pray today that you encourage every heart Lord that you'll help us to rise above our circumstances and situation and to lift our heads like the wise man to follow the star until we see the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, born in our hearts and born in our lives. Lord, what's Christmas if it's just a tradition? Lord, Christmas is something when the birthing can go on in our spirit and in our life to produce what you have born in, into this world. And Lord, I ask you just to bless this word and to bless your people. We're not here for another meeting, Lord. We're here that you might break us open and mold us and shape us for this time and for this 
this season so that the darkness cannot penetrate. But it has the darkness, oh Lord, we see the greatest light and the greatest revelation. So bless your word, I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You know, I believe that the church is in a great crisis right now because many of us, we relate to the church as a congregation and as a move or as an experience. But the church is more than a move and more than an experience. The church is me and the church is you, which has called out of darkness into the light to understand what God wants in our life. Now, I am sitting there and I'm thinking about how can I be most effective? Now, you know, I'm in a ministry about 50 years. I've traveled throughout my lifetime. I mean, even in these days, we travel 10 months of the year. We're going from congregation to congregation, from church to church, and we have only one request. We don't ask for big meetings. We don't ask for anything, but we do ask for hungry people, for people who can affect the word of God to make changes and to break us forth into a new dimension. And you know, I realize as I look at the Word of God, how many of us, that Word of God is just like a recipe or we become so spiritual that we don't really understand anymore what the Spirit of God wants to do in us and through us to move in that dimension of His glory. And you know, as I look at my own life and every life you have gone to season, special the ones who have gone ahead in our life, lifetime and you can look at the seasons in your life and you can see how God has weaved within your life a threat of deity and a threat of redemption to bring forth the fullness and the glory of what he wants to produce in your life and in my life now you know as I look at Adam and Eve and I have to say what I want to speak on the difference between the Cain offering and the Abel offering and you know, you can believe it doesn't matter how much you love the Lord. Many of us bring Cain offerings to the Lord, which does not produce a fire. It does not produce a heat and it does not produce an acceptance. It just produces envy and jealousy and bitterness. You know, I just was listening just for a little bit as I was uh, at home and I got ready. I don't know where I listened to just five minutes to Joyce Meyer and something struck me. She said this. She said, I go from congregation to congregation and I speak about anger. And she said, on the end of the meeting, I ask who is angry in the church. And 70% in every meeting, you know how big her meetings are. 70% of every meeting, people rise up to declare how angry they are. Now, you know what it says, the meek shall inherit the earth, not the angry. And you see, many of us, we have no effect because the anger destroys our ability not only to come to heaven, but to be affected in our generation and in upon this earth in this time because we have never, ever come to the meekness which the Lord speaks of for the meek shall inherit the earth. Now when I study the first chapters and I have preached many, many sermons in the, in the book of Genesis. But the first chapter, I imagine, imagine there's two people. 
Now, he, I preached you a little bit last time. And these two people have been fashioned in the fullness of God. They have not been born. They did not need to be developed. They're fashioned in God's likeness. And in the completion and in the fullness of God, they failed. They lacked. And remember, I spoke here last time, how did Adam and Eve fail? How could they fail being in God's presence, having new drives, having new death within our body, having eternal life, and yet fail? And I realized one of these things which the devil uses through our life is desires. Because what Satan did, she created, or he created a desire within Eve which overpowered her fullness. And when you look at today, God's people, so many of our desires are so powerful that our sad desires actually overshadow our purpose. And many of us, we are so needy because our desires are so dominating our life that the church is quite ineffective. Because we, our desires, the whole thing we see God is if he fulfills my desire, my emotional desire, my physical desire, my lifestyle desire. And what happens is our desire actually overpowers our purpose. And you can see how Eve and Adam fell. And, and you know, the, the, until Genesis chapter 15, God never gave any directions how to bring an offering. And what to do with an offering. Only as the offering of the covenant came. And Abraham, he made an Abraham a covenant. He actually told them what to offer and how to offer it. Because he was going to come down to bring a new revelation. Now from this time of Adam and Eve to the time of Abraham. There was no instruction how to bring an offering. Now, when I believe Adam and Eve are just like you and I, and I ask you this, how do you get the desire that God might use you, the desire to have a touch of God, that desire within you, so burning within you, that, that shut up in your bones to fulfill your destiny? How do we get these desires? Now, how do we balance these desires in our life so that they become stronger than our bank account and stronger than how big our house is or how great our car is how, how perfect we are how do I get that how do I get this desire because of many of us we can say the same things but we don't have the same intensity we say the same words but they don't have the same life because the language is not just the word form it's born out of your intensity of the very being what you are and who you are and you know, as I look at Adam and Eve, and I have to compare it even to my own life, and, and to just to be open about it. Because imagine here's Adam and Eve, and they're out of paradise. Can't you imagine what they talked about? Now here for the first time, they're out of paradise, and they deal with drives. For the first time, they're coming out of the fullness of God. And there's an instinct, a sex drive. And there's a hunger drive. And there's sweat and stink. And the enemy eat each other. Now, they had to deal with that kind of environment. Now, they didn't forget how it used to be in paradise. How it used to be. For they had no need. And for they were completed. And what did they do? I'm sure they talked to the boys. They would sit down to Cain and Abel. 
And they would talk to them how it used to be and how God would come down and how it used to be for, to be in the fullness of the presence of the Lord. And it must have created a desire in this boys, a longing. And I thought to myself, I start longing, and let's face it, you know, the name Cain. The name Cain means actually, the name Cain means possession. But she said, Eve said this, I have gotten a man from God. I have acquired it. I have got it. Now, what happens when you lose everything in your life? When you ever have you stripped, what happens in your life? You're looking to get possession. You gain possession. I just read the book. I just finished it. About a POW escaped, the only one who escaped Laos. And he was plagued with all this time as he lived and what he experienced. Even so, he didn't need it. What did he do? He started to have hundreds of pounds of rice, hundreds of pounds of sugar, hundreds of pounds of flour. He didn't need it. But what? The stripping has made something in him where he thought he could not live, even when I think of my mom, as we lived in the East. How a stripping has brought forth an instinct of preservation, of self-preservation. And here's Cain. Now, what happens here? They both. Certainly there's a desire and a longing to come closer to God. To find that God of their mom and dad. To find that God who has created their mom and dad. As they have struggled to be born and to find to their birthing a fulfillment and a destiny. And you know, I thought to myself and I look at Cain. Many of us, what did Cain do? You can only give out what you got. You can give anything what you don't have. You can borrow things, steal things, take things from others and give it. But actually, I can only give what I got. I cannot produce it. I can only offer what I am, who I am, what I am to God. And Cain, what did he do? He is a tiller of the ground. Now, what was the ground? The ground was cursed. The ground was cursed. What's the, there's a huge difference between the curse and the woman and the man. You read it. The woman's curse is totally emotional. It's a the, the desire based of desire. And she, she, she does, will desire. And because she desires, he will rule over her. Now, Cain, his curse was with the sweat of his brow. Was with work was with the environment he had in his life. And you can see, as he started in his environment, what did he give? He gave of his effort. He gave of his strength. He gave of his sweat. But he didn't give of his heart. And you see, when I look at my life, I have to honestly say, and I, you look at the church today. You cannot tell me sometimes when God's people are blessed that you automatically feel blessed. There are many people who are struggling and praying and they are in need. And what happens is when others feel blessed, they feel left out. They actually come in a defeat and they feel in depression. I have felt like that. 
I have been in places where God's people testified and blessed and they didn't give me joy. It produced bitterness because I felt not blessed. And you look at it in your life and you look at it, you can say the right words. But it's not real. It's not what you say, it's what I am. And you can see there is a weight of God's glory missing in the church. Because we say things which are produced out of a knowledge, but not out of life. And you see, today Jesus was born for what? To give me life. To give me an understanding of a life no system, no government can give me. No education can give me. No approval can give me. Only Christ can give it to me. And how do I find it? Now, when you look at that, when you, and, and you look at Cain, he gave of what? Of the sweat, of his effort, of his strife. And today, this is what the church is at. Many of us, we learn how to give, but we don't know how to lose. Because losing produced anxiety, and we want possession. Now, when you look at this, what happened to Cain? He's produced bitterness. And anger. Those are the first people on earth. Now, Abel, you have to know the name. I think uh, Eve and Adam had an expectation. They thought with Cain, something new is going to happen. With Cain, something new is going to birth. Maybe there's hope for us. Now, something happened with Abel. You know what the name Abel actually means? Breath, vanity. And here's a whole shift in Eve's perception because she lost a certain hope and ability because she realized that it's vapor. You look at an ecclesiastic. Why well, here speaks the preacher. What he does. He doesn't speak out of desires. He speaks out of knowledge. And he comes to a place, Solomon, where he comes to a second revival in his life. And he knows that everything is reached is nothing. It's vanity. Vanity. Because he realizes all these things we gotta and uh, hold on to. It doesn't mean you fulfill your destiny or you fulfill your birth. So when you look at Abel, what did he give? Abel gave what he had. He was emotionally attached. Something touched his heart. Just look at a little lamb. Or little, look at a little puppy. Look at these things who touch your emotions. And you know, there's things in your life God going to bring little lambs in your life. Because Christ is a lamb. What does a lamb do? A lamb in his purity and innocence, he touches our emotion and touches our spirit so that we can be effective in the things we give to the Lord. And you look at today, many of us give God things that doesn't touch us anything. There's no level of these things which God wants to touch within our life. And what happens that if we don't give what touches in our life? We, I don't know. It doesn't say how, how God accepted. I'm sure it was a fire. I'm sure the fire came of the Lamb. I'm sure it was feet and the power of God manifested as he brought that little lamb to give it to the Lord for one reason to find an entrance, to find a door of that what the, their parents have lost, to find a way to the heart of the Lord. And let's look at uh, many of us. Don't we look all the things we do and all the things we act, we find trying to find an entrance. 
an entrance to find fulfillment, an entrance to find the glory of God in our life. And you know, I, I, I think of Abel and I look at my own life. And I have to honestly say, there have been many times in my life I've brought Cain offerings out of my effort and out of my strife, but it has only produced bitterness. And today there are hundreds and hundreds of Christians who know all, but they're bitter in their heart. They're absolutely angry within their heart, and they don't know what to do because they don't know how to move the hand of God in their life. You know, then what I love so much about the Lord didn't throw out Cain, and he didn't throw out me, and he didn't throw out you. But you know what he was speaking here? And he says, then, then the Lord said to Cain in verse 6, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not well, sin is crouching on the door, and this desire is for you, and you must master it. Now, he speaks to Cain. Now, guess what? God has always has the right timing. You know what this is for Cain, a Cairo timing. A moment of kind where the whole destiny could be changed in his life in the in the scripture. And every one of us there's season. Remember what happened when when Abraham when the children of Israel came into the promised land. You know, no, most of us we want revival, but we want desert revival. We want a miracle revival. We want our shoes not grow old. We want the quails from the sky. We want the rock come bring out the water. We want to see the Red Sea split. But when you come into the promised land to come into victorious life, you have to know seasons. You know why? Because the miracle stops in the promised land. I'm not saying that God cannot do miracles, but he does not want you to depend on miracles. He wants you to know how to sow and how to reap. He wants you to understand. And today people are in a desolation waiting for one miracle from other. But they don't know timing. They don't know when to sow, when to harvest. When to bring forth the fruits of their life. You know how many of God's people start over and over and over again, spiritually speaking. They don't grow. I go to whole churches for key people, old people in kindergarten, who have never matured. They have just grown old. You know how sad that is? When we have no mothers and fathers in the nation, and we just have old little girls and old little boys being the same scared as the babes. For we don't have any power demonstrated because we have not rooted ourselves and we have not known the timing of the Lord. And I know that when you look at America, America is not the same country I immigrated to. You know, I told you this here, but America is actually falling into the hands of the enemy. Why? Because they used to teach us years ago that America will fall from within. And you can see it. How whole America is falling from within. How do you fight an American who no longer loves God? How do you fight an American who no longer cares for the Constitution? How do you fight an American who no longer knows the harm and the power of the Lord in your life? And I say, God, what am I going to do? I have gone to systems. I have escaped from systems. I have stood and looked for freedom. 
And I realized, America is on a crossing road. It's not the politicians you're going to vote. Because America is going to vote who they are. We're going to vote who we are. And as we come to a place, what what is this church is going to go? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do in these days? And I realized, this is a Cairo time for America. It's an appointed time in the seasons. An appointed time where God will speak. And what does he say to Cain? In a point in time, that was his time when instead Cain could become a man of God, but he became a murderer. In this appointed time, as he did not recognize the seat of destruction, where founded in his heart, and he became a murderer, and he became evil, and his father was Satan, the one who deceived him. What the Lord said to Cain, Cain, why are you angry? What are you so mad about that I bless Abel? Why are you so angry? Now what do you say? What happens when what happens when the anger comes? Why has your countenance fallen? That what the Lord says, listen, you express your anger to your whole body language. You just express who you are. You why is your countenance? That's what it means. Why is your countenance, your body language, your anger? Why are you so angry? I mean, look at this. Why are we so angry? You know how many of us are so angry? Are we angry? You know what they used to tell me in the East when we used to smuggle Bibles in the 70s? And then I told, I asked many of these brethren who confronted the government day in and day out, who they've been persecuted when it's prosecuted and persecuted and, and who everything been taken from them. I said, how do you deal with it? You can't be so angry. And you know what they said? It was one of the key things for many of the Christians in those days. They said this, we never go to bed angry. The Lord speaks. He said, don't go to bed angry. Diffuse. I said, how do you diffuse it? Then you just had the great persecution and nobody loves you. Nobody understands you. And your kids can be. We could not go to colleges, to high school. If you were not political, we couldn't go to high school. We could be for the lowest of the lowest. How do you diffuse that? How do you diffuse it? And he would say, all we ask, we just bless. Before we go to bed, we bless. Before we go to bed, we release. And we bring our lamb. And we release our anger, our hates, and our bitterness. You know what happens when you go any day in and day out and you sleep and you pray and you don't release your anger? Eventually you can see they have a lifestyle of anger. You don't even know what you're angry about anymore. And today the church cannot be angry. Because if you hang walk in the human anger, we lose the power to be effective in a nation and in a generation to make something different in our life. What he say? Why are you so mad? Just because I accepted Abel, why are you so angry about? What are you so mad about? And you see, sometimes when the Lord blesses others, he blesses them. When you're not blessed, you have to actually shake your attitude. You have to shake your heart and see, Lord, what did I do? 
Did I give you a cane offering? Did you give you things? I didn't feel anything. I just gave it to you, so I'm blessed. Why are you angry? What's the matter with you? Why is your countenance? You know, this is what he said. If you do well, if you do what's right, <laughs> if you do what is right. Now, you know, that's an amazing thing. You can do things which are right even so you don't feel anything. There are things I can do which are right in the spirit if I do what is right. You know how many people, I tell you honestly, there are people who pray, 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 they never do what's right. They did the same mistakes over and over and over again. They never ever do what is right. Now he says that. If you do what is right... Now, you know what it says in Proverbs 14, 12? There is a way which seems right to men, but it's the end is the way of death. In Psalm 18, 24, the Lord rewards me for what? For doing right. Psalm 25, verse 9, he leads the humble in doing right. Proverbs 21, 2, 21, 2. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. The Lord is more pleased when you do what's right and just than when you offer sacrifices. Now, what was Paul, Saul's great mess? Now, you look at Saul. He had everything going for him. He was anointed. He had a new heart. He was filled with the Spirit. He prophesied. He had guidance. Samuel the prophet. He has great friends. He was anointed as a king. He had power. But he had one problem. He never did what was right. He never did what the Lord wanted him to do with all the potential of his life. And like Cain, he became total failure. You remember the Lord says, well, he does whole things. He's not supposed to wipe out the Amaleks, and he keeps the king. He keeps the sheep. He keeps the things for himself. And he had all the potentials, but he had one problem. He didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he was with us too. We can pray and pray and pray and pray. If you don't do what's right, you're Cain. You eventually will become a murderer because, well, you know what the Bible says? If you have bad thoughts against your brother already, you don't need to kill somebody to become a murderer. If you don't accept things in our life, and you can see what happens in our life. We go to church, we pray, but we don't do what is right. Now, work, how does the Lord give me ability to do what's right when I don't feel anything? To, then you know, how do I know? What happens what God will do in your life? What happened to Abraham? How did Abraham know what is right? How do I know what is right so that I do the will of the Lord? Now faith is not just to do miracle. What does it say it's about Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now righteousness is what? Right thinking. Right behavior. It's not what I think is right. It's what I have to do what's right in God's sight. You can pray. I know God's people. I tell you something. I've seen counsel people. They pray and pray and pray. God delivers them from the abusive husband. Next year I come, they have a new abusive husband. It's a map, it's a pattern. 
They're unhappy, single, and they're unhappy married. They are just an unhappy bunch. And yet, life of God is coming alive. And what happens, Lord, what do I do? How do I come into that place to get my Cairo moment? And I know, doesn't matter what you feel like. Doesn't matter how great you feel as a failure. If you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what does the Lord say? It's a big key thing here. Why has your countenance fell? In other words, he says, why are you so depressed? Depression shows in your body. Depression touches your mind. You know how many Christians are depressed? Absolutely. People are all depressed. Their whole spirituality is motivated to depression. You can see many of God's people, they're so spiritual, but their whole root is depression. Well, you cannot please God with depression. You have to please God with faith. No, it is faith, not in myself. How oh, did Abraham believe God? What did Abraham say? God said to Abraham, 100, almost 100 years old, totally shriveled up. Look at Abraham. See the stars? Look at your head. What do you think God put him outside? He showed him the dust too. Because every time God said to look up, he wants you to look away from yourself. Every time he says look up, that means you look away from yourself and you look towards what he has, what he is, and who he is. Look up. And today if America is not looking up, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. Right? He says that. He says, the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well with your count, then your countenance will be lifted up. If I do right, God will accept who I am. Imagine he said that to Cain, the murderer. But if, listen to this, but if you do not do well, sin crouches at your door and his desire is for you. You don't desire sin, sin desires you. What is he saying? If you do not well, sin crouches on the door. You know what it means? A door is the entrance. And all of us, he said, I just read um, a devotion, I think, uh, I, I forget who it was. But he said this, you have to go into a gate to pursue your way. And here, God has a gate for us. Sin is crouching at the gate. It's, if you do not well, what happens? It's desiring you before you make progress. Before you move into that, what the Lord has for you. And he comes what? He takes. It desires you. You know what sin means? Miss, you miss the mark, actually. You miss the mark of your life and your destiny and your purpose. I wonder how many saved Christians miss their mark. I mean, it does not mean you don't shoot the arrow. You never hit the center. Doesn't mean you don't fight the weapon, but you never hit the enemy. You see what I mean? So if I, where comes it forth in my life? If I do right, doesn't matter what I feel like, doesn't matter if you're blessed or not, doesn't matter what I walk through, I have to come and I remember many times in my life I had to come to a place to give God what? My feelings. Not my efforts, not my sweats, 
Not my preaching. Not my traveling. Me. My life. That's what counts. All the other things he just uses. But what I am, that's what counts. At the end of our life. He says, if you do right, what? Do you not be accepted? And today I tell you, doesn't matter what situation you're in, if you do right what the Lord pleases, you will be accepted. You will see God's fire. You will see God's anointing in your life. But if you do not right, sin will desire you. And you have to master it. With other words, you always will live in sin management. You know how many Christians live in sin management? They only live by the do and don'ts. They don't know how to be free. And you live in sin management. You live in the don'ts and your whole way is your holiness is what you don't do. But it's not what you don't do. It's what you do do. Because my fulfillment is what I do do for God. That's the fulfillment of the law of my life. Now, you know, I look at Cain and I see uh, now here he comes and he speaks to Abel. God speaks to him and he speaks to Abel. And you know what he does here? He kills Abel. And you know how he sets the scene. He kills Abel because he has familiarity. Now, familiarity and intimate is two different things. The familiarity opens up. Familiarity, uh, what would you say, strips you. Familiarity takes things for granted. Intimacy is trust. It's belief. And you, you know, many, many of God's people get killed to familiarity. You can look at it in the Bible with Abner and Joab. And you, you see all these things with, with uh, Absalom and Ammon. They all move into these things of killing and, and destroying because of familiarity. And here he comes and he kills Abel. And you know the Lord speaks to Abel. And it is, you can see if we don't do what is right and our flesh dominates our life. You know what's, when you come to a place what is right, it's not just what I did know this and I know this. It's an inborn consciousness. You know what consciousness is? It's an inborn sense of right and wrong. And today people don't know what's right and wrong. They can go to church for years and sleep together. And they don't even fear to praise the Lord. And they can do things we, we would have grieved 20, 30 years ago. They would have been kicked out of church. Because why? Because their the consciousness is so seared in our life that we don't even know, have no inborn sense of what is right and wrong. And what is right and wrong is actually to the teaching of the word and to the impartation of the spirit. It's not just, oh, this is what pleases God and that's what pleases God. No, it has to become an inborn, a, a, a moral character of a human conduct. So that, that because we are are perverted to the fall. And you know, I know how many of us, I mean, you, we can go to church and there's liberals and there's conservatives and there are different, I'm telling you, remember in South Africa, we would preach in churches from the ANC and the converted and uh, the conservative party and there's a Nazi party and all the church together praising the Lord and every one of us thinks uh, we're right. 
Now, how is the Lord going to call a nation out of the nation and the people out of the people? If you're liberal and I'm a conservative, and many of the liberals later become conservative, why? Because things happen in their life to, do, to change their consciousness. Now, when, I don't, when I'm no longer sensitive to my consciousness, what happens? My consciousness, eventually you don't even know, have no insight. That's how people are born who cannot feel anything, kill us. And they have no conscience. Now some of your consciences may be so sensitive. If you heard a dog, you cry for days. Because something rises within you. And some of you maybe cry for a dog, but you never moved. If you hurt your wife or your husband, that doesn't hurt you at all. Because you, you know, you just want your right. So why would you be conscious? It's good that she gets it. Now, how do I come to the place? So I'm not just moved because a dog touches me. But God touches me. And the only way I know how to do it, that I continuously to do what's right. And as I do what is right, there's going to come a consciousness because it's not just obvious decisions I have to do. Let me imagine now, you smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. I remember how people confronted us. How can you smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain? You disobey the law. Now, how do I stay free to do that? To smuggle it into the underground church and I don't have to repent for hours. Because I feel like I'm convicted. I'm breaking some law. No. There's a law within us which God wants to bring. And that can only come forth a consciousness, an awareness, not of what's right and wrong in culture. What's right and wrong in God's sight. That's so important. So that I don't have to pray for hours to figure out how what. You know that some of us pray for hours because we don't know what pleases God. But it's a, Adam's in Eve's fall destroyed our consciousness and political power. Destroy it. You go in and you see the teaching in the universities. How people are coming out who have a whole different sense of right and wrong than what I had. Why? Because their consciousness. And here's what the church has to come. It's not my political power. Where I come from, I, for, from my culture. I have to come consciousness. Now, when you look at this, you see scriptures like that. You remember when Joseph was in, in prison? Uh, or jo not Joseph. When Joseph, the brothers put him in a pit. And here's the brothers. And they've almost killed him. Imagine their conscience. And how did we get released of that conscience? You remember when the father died, Jacob? The first thing they felt safe for the father. Because they thought these brothers are going to help him. Joseph helps the brothers because of the dad. But now the dad is gone. And their conscience comes up. And they realize how hateful and bitter they were. And what did Joseph have to do? Freedom from their bad conscience. He had to feed them. Speak kindly to them. And forgive them so that... That guilt no longer shapes their way of thinking. Do you know how many of us have guilt in us we carry that shapes the way we think? Look at Abigail. What did Abigail do? Do you realize that Abigail did more than help David? Abigail freed David's conscience. He says it so. 
What would David do? He was a mad David because Nabal the fool did not give him any food. And he said, I'm going to kill this guy. He was mad just like you and I could be. I'm going to kill this guy. I fed his sheep. I looked after the shepherd. And look what he does. He's ready on the way to kill everyone to become a murderer because he's so angry. And what does Abigail do? She brings him a gift. She washes the feet. And most of all, she helps David to be free from a guilt he would commit it so that he would not be a king sitting on a throne with a bad conscience. Because bad conscience brings forth bad decisions. And today Jesus Christ died for me. I could have a lot of bad conscience of things we have done and things we have carried. Anger we have harbored. But what the Lord, how can I be free to know what's right when my conscience, my inborn sense of what God, God did not only die for me so my sins forgave me. He died for me that I might be free from the effects of the sins in my consciousness. And you know, I look, look at this and if we don't move out of this, remember what the Lord said to Cain as he killed Abel. You're going to be a wanderer. You're going to be a fugitive. You're going to be one who will not know. You're going to wander aimlessly about and around. And guess what? The first thing Cain does, he builds a city. Out of the whole lineage of Cain is the entertainment music born. It's the whole entertainment produced. Why? Because restlessness needs entertainment. And today I tell you something. Some of our churches are a whole entertainment movement just on a higher level. We don't speak the bad language and we don't have the darkness, but we're entertaining restless spirit who will never come into the rest and then the power of the spirit of the Lord. Now, what does not mean? The city of Nod, he built restlessness. And when you look at today, God's people are restless. I believe victory can only come to rest to know who I am in God, to know what I'm born for God, to know what I'm walking in God. And it's for all of us. Jesus died for more for you than to forgive what you've been, to become a new person, to become somebody to avoid the effects of yesterday. No longer can it move your thinking and your ideas. That's how the Lord can only use the church to birth a new culture and a nation out of the nations, out of all different cultures. When? When we become what? A new consciousness where the Spirit of God will move my right, the way I'm thinking, which is right and wrong. And what is wrong? And you know how we can pray prayers which are so wrong because we don't think right. And how can I think right? I have to admit, many times I felt like a cane. I have given things to God as out of my effort, out of my sweat, out of my striving. But there was no sweetness, no softness. No aroma. 
jealousy, bitterness, and anger. And I tell you something, we're all praying for revival. But you will see how many of God's people cannot take revival. How they will stand on the outside looking in because they will not feel like they're a part of it and move by the power in it. And I know in these days as we move from church to church that God is raising up a new generation. I'm not talking about age. A people who have a new thinking. A people who are willing to do what? To understand their Cairo hour. A people who say God said God says to Cain, Cain, if you do what is right, shall you not be accepted? If I do what is right, I will be accepted. Cairo moment in my life. You know, Abel died and Seth was born. And Seth produced Enosh. And Enos means frailty and humanity. And you know, the name Enos is mentioned 42 times in the Old Testament. Frailty. Frailty, mortality. But guess what? Only as they recognized their frailty and Enos was born, did men start to call upon the name of the Lord. Only then that they open up to cry out to the Lord. And you know, when you study the word of God, you can realize how many of us, we just get used to the circumstances without ever crying out. But only when my cry becomes a weight will the Lord hear and bring deliverance and birth people he can form and mold for his destiny and for his purpose. And I just pray that you will see if you've given things to God who has not produced fire and you look at your life. Maybe you have spent years, some of you are maybe disillusioned and your dreams have not come through the way you thought. But the Lord say, if you do what is right, shall you not be accepted? But if not, sin will crouch at your door. You won't even see it. You know what it means to crouch, ready to get you. And you have to master it. If you don't, it will master you. That's why Cain killed Abel. And Cain became a tribe which lived in restlessness and unfulfillment. Jesus was born for us so that we might live. He was born and died so that we might live. And you know how sad it is when we don't taste and see how good he is. Today I tell you, if you do what is right, doesn't matter what you feel like. If you do what is right, if I do what is right, shall I not be accepted? 
Shall I not see his glory? Shall I not see his power? Shall I not see his anointing? Would you bow your head with me, Heavenly Father? I just thank you so much for these wonderful people. Lord, when you look at them there, you almost think they don't need a sermon like that. But Lord, you know our hearts. You know our cry. And Lord, you know how many times we've been blessed, and yet there's so much envy and bitterness, so much defeat, so much hate, so much anger, so much frustration dwelling within us. And Lord, how many times we have given you things in our life and we have not seen the evidence of your presence. We have not smelled the aroma of your glory. We have not seen your hand move in our lives. Lord, I just thank you so much. When I seen the fire, that you have not thrown me away. When I seen it in other people's lives. When I seen the dedication or even the willingness to die for you, that you have not kicked me out. When you seen upon my heart's altar dead things. Things, O oh Lord, did not move you because they didn't move me. And Lord, how can we think that we move you when we're not moved by it? But Lord, how you have come. And you have given us Kyra moments in all of our life where we can make decisions. Decisions to do things which is right. And I don't know, Lord, you know the hearts this morning. You know the angers and the frustration and the bitternesses we deal with. You know the hopelessness, Lord, and the anxieties we carry. Lord, you know all these things. Lord, I ask you today that you help us in this Christmas season. Not only to do things for each other and to be sentimental and buy nice gifts, but to do things which are right. Lord, the wise men walked in the darkness seeing the stars because they did things which were right. They brought the gifts as confirmation to the revelation to put a determination within their parents' heart to know that that boy was not just a little baby boy, but the son of God, born for such a time as this to fulfill destiny and purpose. And I don't know, Lord, but I just pray that you help Holy Spirit come and diffuse us today. Yes. Diffuse us from our self-righteousness and diffuse us, Lord, from all these things we carry in our life and breathe upon us like you breathed upon Adam and Eve, oh Lord, as you fashioned them into your likeness. I don't know, I just wonder if there's any of you who realizes that you need to do things different. Maybe your anger and your desperation has made decisions for you. Maybe your unfulfilled desires feel greater than your purpose in your life. I don't know. But I just know that God says, my son, my daughter, if you do what's right today, 
if you make these things right, you're not going to be a cane to kill everything which is around you. You know, some of us, we kill the very things we want the most. Lord, in this Christmas season, let the stars shine to brighten the darkness in everybody's life, to break forth your glory and your anointing, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. What a timely word, Siggy. Thank you. Praise the Lord. What is right in the sight of the Lord, not in the sight of men? Huh? And it was interesting. Christy and I went out last night, had dinner, going to do some shopping, and we found ourselves in this under a spirit, really, we discerned this morning. But a spirit had come over us and had created this tension between us. Just last night. You say, Pastor, should you confess that publicly? You bet. What is right in the sight of the Lord? None of us are exempt. None of us are exempt from these things we've heard today. And I thank the Lord for the timely word. Thank you for being obedient to that word. Amen. You know, I find that if what is right is to humble ourselves. You know, he has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justly, mercy, and humbly with your God. Maybe this word brought to mind somebody or some situation in your life. I find a lot of times when God is speaking, there'll be somebody that comes on my radar. <laughs> and often it's an indicator of, uh, that God wants me to do something with that do what's right. You know, the Holy Spirit's here to help us do what's right. We can't figure that out. We're not smart enough to go, you know, we need his assistance and he's willing to assist us in doing what is right. And so the prayer here is that we'll just be open. Holy Spirit, I want to do what's right. Would you show me what right looks like for me so that I can go and do what's right for me? Because this isn't, this isn't about pleasing people. It's not about pre pleasing the preacher or pleasing the pastor or pleasing some. This is about pleasing what's right in the sight of the Lord. And from that, all of these promises, the smile of God, the favor of God. So, Father, we just received this word today, and I want to thank you for helping us, Holy Spirit, <laughs> that we wouldn't be a bunch of bitter, angry, resentful people at a time when we're supposed to be a shining light in the world. God, forgive us where we've allowed things in, where we've in our own pride, in our own sweat, our own efforts feel like we've not been acknowledged or appreciated or haven't been rewarded for all of our efforts. God, we want to do what we do as unto you. From you, our reward comes. 
And that reward is your peace, your grace, your favor, your acceptance. I thank you, Father, for just a reviving. Lord, we let go today. We let go of all bitterness, envy, jealousy. Lord, we choose like those during the time of persecution who said they would not go to bed harboring unforgiveness and anger. God, would you help us? Thank you for this instruction today that we would not be snared with these things. Thank you for that, Father. And just the grace to do what's right. We choose to do it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. As is always the case, the real meeting is what happens outside these doors. Amen. After the meeting. And um, I always feel it's appropriate to give opportunity to bless and sow into the ministries God sends our way. And so today I'd love to do that with you. I feel like it's right in the sight of the Lord. Amen. And um, so we love this couple. They've just been so dear to us. You know, they have a lot of places they could go besides here. <laughs> with a lot more people and whatever, but God in his mercy has been faithful to send them along this way pretty much yearly as he wills, and uh, we're thankful for that. And amen, it's always a blessing. And uh, so I just would ask you to consider sowing a seed today. If you want to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to combine, we'll have one bowl up here, and uh, and then you can just come forward. If you're making a checkout, you can just do it to Living Waters, and we'll give them one check to carry them along to their next place of life and ministry. <laughs> Amen. Praise God.